Well, good morning, afternoon, or evening, or whatever part of the day you are. Welcome to the latest edition of Generation Podcast. Generation is a ministry of Free Church of Scotland, and Generation Podcast is when we look at mission and ministry, and we also say through us are using a Scottish accent. That's not to say it's all about Scotland, but that's where we're based and that's where our perspective comes from. I am delighted to welcome today a guest. A guest is one of my colleagues, and he is the Reverend Gordon Matheson, who is Minister at Strath and Slade Free Church, which is in the southern end of the island of Skye. Welcome to the podcast, Gordon. Hi, David. Good to be with you. Great. Now, I know a few things about you. We've worked together for quite a time now. Can you just give us a wee bit of your history? Uh, Yeah, well, I I think we we probably first met when my dad was minister in Inverness and Greyfires. Um, Probably, I'm I'm trying to think now, 25 plus years ago. Um, My dad was minister at Greyfires Free Church. He was only there a short time, actually, just a couple of years before his death, um, when I was 14. Um, he was very young at the time himself. He was only in his, his early 40s, um, about the same age I am now. Okay. Can you tell us, you, you're what was called a PK, um, a preacher's yeah. kid. Can you tell us, did that influence your way for good, influence your life for good or bad? Uh, I mean, definitely for good. P- PKs, pastor's kids are... are um, are, are both fortunate and fortunate at the same time. Uh, one of the one of the big challenges is people think they know you very very well, and um, and I think I remember you giving me advice actually just when I when I went to went back to Great Fires as John Ross's assistant when I started in ministry. Um, I think you said to me it'll take the congregation there about probably about two weeks to understand and realise you're not your you're not your dad. Um, I think that's one of the big challenges for PKs. You know, you, people know your your parents, your father, particularly in, in our context, very well and make all sorts of assumptions about you and, and it's very hard to kind of step into these shoes and, and try and find your find your own identity but aside from that i i mean the, the privileges far outweigh these these challenges um it's brought up with a, a really solid biblical um grounding from from my youth and i'm really glad of the the um the, the sort of doctrinal basis that i think by osmosis my dad was never one for kind of sitting me down and saying Here's, we're going to talk today about a particular item of doctrine. It was just a more osmotic thing where, you know, from a young age, we had a real regard for Scripture, for the authority of Scripture, for the reality of God, for the importance of prayer, and so many um, so many real privileges around that. And it's, it's been, you know, foundational to a lot, of my, a lot of my life. It's not to say I didn't rebel against that. I ran, but, um, you know, I've, I've had, my, had my ups and downs with, with that in my younger years. Your father was what we call a grand style preacher. He was one of the great preachers of the Free Church of the 80s. Um, Very powerful presence, articulate, um, theologically wise and yet able to communicate. He was up there with, you know, Douglas McMillan, Don Cloud, many of the tremendous preachers in in the Free Church at that time. Were, Were you conscious that he was... Uh, a good preacher or did you at the age of you know 12 to 14 whatever did you have the capability to analyze and critique his preaching honestly probably not then uh, th- there was too much of the sense that that's my dad in the pulpit 
at that age. Um, and then, you know, the, these last, and, and to be fair as well, before that, I'm not a Gaelic speaker. So my early years had actually been in Shobost on the west side of Lewis, where the majority of my dad's preaching was in Gaelic. Um, and, and so there was a, a sort of limited, you know, much more limited exposure at a, at a younger age to him in the pulpit. Uh, but it was really when we went to Inverness um, to Grey Fires that um, I really started to probably listen to my dad properly um, and try to take on board some of what he was saying in the pulpit um, and, and kind of realising something of that, you know, that pulpit presence, I suppose, that, that was there. But actually, it's been subsequently that I've listened to most of it with with a more, um, you know, with, with a more engaged kind of sense. I'm going back over, you know, so my mum has a complete set of my dad's tapes still. Um, there's there's a lot of his preaching online now as well. You can you can find a couple of websites where, where folk have very um, very helpfully collated an awful lot of his a lot of his preaching and converted it to, to modern formats that you can access. And it's there that I've really kind of engaged. Um, he, he preached a series on Philippians in the prayer meeting in Grey Friars, um, probably 1990, 1991. And that series is just going back over it time and again, and it's just kind of blows you away with some of the some of the, the content and the the pastoral stuff, but also thinking about it in hindsight, you know, the, the way the Lord was, I think, obviously preparing him for his own for his own death, I think, as well. Um, a sermon on for me to live as Christ and to die as King is just powerful stuff knowing what happened in my dad's life kind of subsequently. Can you maybe unpack a wee bit, if you're able, how you felt at the time of, of your father's death? Because to lose a father at 14 is, you know, profound and powerful. It's exacerbated by the fact that he is a minister, and not only have you lost your father, <laughs> you've lost your home. Um, can you just talk us through that a wee bit? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the unsettling effects of it are, are enormous, Um so we we did we 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 moved house um, pretty pretty promptly. We moved out of the manse in, in Inverness. Uh, initially, my mum, I think in the in the shock of it as well, um, she she wanted to she wanted to kind of keep as much stability for us as she could. And so her plan initially had been to keep us in Inverness uh, as a family, um, just to preserve kind of continuity for schooling and things. But it, it just in the Lord's will, it didn't it didn't work out, and we ended up moving. Back to back to Lewis, um, just outside Stornoway, where, where I spent the latter part of my, my teenage years before going off to uni. Um, I think the, the the overriding feeling for me was anger. Actually, um, I I couldn't understand. Um, I, I get hung up on this why question: Why has this happened to us? And for a long time, really struggled with that. Um, you know, long after, probably even after I, I came to a came to a, a real faith uh, myself and, and came to, a, you know, having repented of that, but still struggled with it um, for, for a long time. It, it was quite defining probably in my my younger, certainly my younger years. And it's taken me a lot of, even subsequently, in fact, you know, right up to the present, there's, there's probably still factors from that that remain uh, struggles in my life that, you know, that, 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 that it was such a, you know, such a destabilizing, unsettling experience. And, and having your, your world kind of completely turned upside down. It was, it was really challenging. I think the, the hardest thing for, sorry, sorry, I was just going to no say the hardest thing I think was, was, you know, standing at, at you know, my dad was buried in, in Graver, um, his sort of um, ancestral, ancestral home. Ancestral home, yeah. 
Lewis. And, um, you know, I think the hardest thing was, was going there for the funeral. Um, you know, there had been a big memorial service in, in Inverness and Grey Fires. Um, and then there was a second funeral then in, in, in Graver. Hundreds, probably over a thousand people in attendance. And you're, you know, you're just, as a 14 as a year old kid standing at the head of my father's coffin and, and going there to the, to the cemetery. I, I still really struggle to understand everything that was going on in my head at that time and, and trying to unpackage it is, is um, you know, it's, it's so difficult. And it's, I've been really struck though, during the, the early stages of the lockdown, we were, we were working through the Book of Psalms and um, coming a lot to laments and going back over some of these painful outbursts in the Psalms of, people experiencing really perplexing situations and struggling through that. And I'm really, you know, I'm really attached now to the Psalms actually as I've matured on, on, on reflecting on it and coming back to think about it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's fascinating. I was, I was there that day in Graver. I, I remember it very well. I remember you. What about this whole idea of, of lament? Do you think, you know, has contemporary evangelicalism embraced it, or do you think we have succumbed to a culture of unrealistic positivity, a kind of almost Pollyannish outlook in life, where you know the, the word "great" is, is used all the time. You know, you, you hear it in social media, "great sermon last night," "great meeting last night." Uh, have we lost the place? Yeah, I. I just there's a sense in which I'm I'm almost scared to answer that because I, there's a sense in which the, the the you know evangelicalism is so broad and you know the the experience of it I think I was talking to Fred Drummond at Evangelical Alliance just recently and and um, Fred was saying this is one of the things the church generally needs to to recapture and I think I probably agree with him that we're we've been so used to things going reasonably well in particularly for us in the West um, we've you know, we, we've known economic advantage and we've known lots of um, social stability, I suppose, as well. There's been a lot of social change and a lot of our people have, you know, older generations find themselves really lost in the culture we're in today. Um, but but by and large, there, there haven't been times of global panic, the same, quite the same as we've seen with, with COVID. And people are hurting and, you know, we are hurting and... It's really, I think it's it's incumbent upon us at this stage to, I think, to to find a way to articulate lament and perplexity in the face of providences from God's hand that we find really challenging, that we find really difficult to 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 understand and to engage with and to to grapple with. And almost I, a sense of, you think there's a sense of entitlement, you know, the you know one doesn't want to get political, however the we're we're talking this this week in the, the week of English exam results last week's Scottish exam results. The sense that nobody should ever fail. The sense that nobody should ever lose their job. Um, is that a, a bit harsh, or is there an element of truth in that critique? I think the reality of it is people do. Um, you know. They, and in a sense, for us as Christians, it shouldn't surprise us. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where the curse of sin, or over sin rather, has been pronounced and has been enacted. 
And th this is the reality of the world we live in. It is a world where, where, where flowers die. It's a world where fathers die. It's, it's a world where, where people fail. It's a world where, you know, even, even the best of us are, are, are at times perhaps um, in danger of falling into pride and hubris and, and there's an, there's an incumbent necessity for us. I think that one of one of the things I find really I, I've kind of one of the words I've come back to an awful lot recently actually is the importance of walking humbly in the situations that we find ourselves in just now. Um, that that old expression there, but for the grace of God go I, is actually should be a watchword for us. You know, it, it, the the fragility of of all that we take for granted and all the things that we we assume is is so is so real and. And, and it, it takes only just a moment for all of these things that we that we kind of build our confidence on to be taken away from us, and to be left um, with that. I think that sense of bereftness. There's all there's almost a sense of laments the right word. There's a sense of loss and grieving uh, when we lose these things. So you know, I think one one of the things that really I've been thinking a lot about recently is how um, Christian worldview affects our culture, and and I think for an awful lot of people in in our context in the free church. An awful lot of people are, are lamenting, grieving just now, the loss of uh, a generally held Christian worldview in Scottish society more widely and are kind of really surprised at the, the speed at which our culture has really changed. And as I talk to people in my own congregation, I talk to you know, my mum's generation as well, it, it, is, it does feel almost like grieving, that there's a, there's a, a sense of, there's a real sense of profound grief in the loss of that culture that they've understood and the sort of the, the the landmarks that they had always thought were real and identifiable just to have been taken away really rapidly. And it is, it's like a, it's like a, a, a bereavement in a family. It's like something like your dad being taken out of the picture kind of very quickly and you finding your, your world is completely turned upside down. And that's what we're living through just now, not just with COVID, but with in culture generally and, the the, the 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 challenge for us in the church, I think, is not to sugarcoat where things are, but to bring the gospel to people's lives, to point people to a new, greater reality than a hope that's in Jesus Christ. That's fascinating. Uh, so many things uh, arise from that. Uh, you mentioned the effect of sin in the world and brokenness. It's a world where flowers die. Such a, a profound and hit self-evident line and yet people forget that as I was growing up uh, I heard sin preached a lot and I mean a lot almost every single sermon majored on sin and yet on reflection sin was not mentioned the generic term was mentioned a lot but nobody or, or it was very rare to apply it how do we preach sin in a relevant way to our contemporary society. Yeah, I, th I think there's the, the approach that, that I think is, is often helpful is to, to find a way to distinguish between actual sins, which I think our, our society by and large, I, I suspect this is what people think of when they think about sin, they think about individual things that are sinful and that the church might say are sinful. Um, and there's, you know, there, there are some unfortunate focuses that the, the church has made in, in, in that in recent years. And some of it's maybe fair, some of it's just a matter of perception. 
but but being able to try and convey to people that these things are are in a sense the outworking the symptoms of a deeper rooted disease. So you know when when you're when you're diagnosing um, when someone's been diagnosed with with cancer, there might be all sorts of little telltale signs and evidence of it, but there's really a root problem much much deeper down inside. And it's trying to find ways to convey to people our, our, our lives are marred by our sin, but that's because there is a much deeper problem inside the, the problem of original sin. Um, and I try, when I'm preaching on that myself, my, my, my focus tends to be coming back to, again, the pride that was there in, in Adam, the, the, the pride that he knew better than God's simple instruction to him. Don't eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam's um, response to that was, well, actually, I think I will. And th- that inherently speaks to, to, to our, our sense of whether, it, you know, we were using the word entitlement earlier, that, that sense of, of our own ability to determine our course, to dictate for ourselves what is best. And when left to our own devices, sadly, regrettably, as humans, we find that that's the case. We, we, we're, not, we're, we're not. We're not capable of making the right decisions because we're inherently broken and flawed because of the fall and because of sin within us. But that's an ugly thing to say in our society today um, because our society has been so influenced by, you know, like we've seen it in recent months, um, you know, with, with critical theory that's influenced lots of, lots of different areas of our society and particularly race relations. Um, everybody is either oppressed or an oppressor. And, and you, you, you fall into one of these two categories and there's lots of different intersectionalities where these things interplay with one another and you can be an oppressor in one category and be oppressed in a different category in your own experience. But it's that sense that, that what we've lost is a, a universal sense that all of us are, are broken. All of us are oppressors because all of us want to promote ourselves and, and want to make the, make the most of our own, of our own desires and our own individual personal flight away from God in whatever way that takes us. And that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, these conversations are always random and uh, you know, that's one of the things that some listeners like other listeners you know, can't stand. We spoke about critical theory, intersectionality. Um, I, I moved to Sky where you now minister when I was a teenager. I moved from the central belt and one of the things I noticed about the islands was it was much less uh, class obsessed than the central belt was. It was also uh, much less sectarian. You know, we all went to the same school. There was no Catholic Protestant thing. There was this egalitarianism. I mean, I've been away from the islands for a long time. Would you say that? In terms of sky life or, or Lewis, that it is more of a classless society than other parts of Scotland. I, you know, I haven't. I, mean, I studied in Glasgow. I studied the same as yourself at Strathclyde. Um, I, you know, spent three years in Edinburgh at at what's now ETX. So I don't have a lot of experience outside of. You know, outside of the Highlands, actually, in my, my own upbringing and and background. But I think that there's a sense in which that, that that's probably true. When I was growing up in Lewis, um, you know, there was a tension, a, a sort of rivalry with Sky. Um, you know, and, and there was a, a 
not hostile. I would never say hostility, but we used to come across to have debates and um, we would we would do debates against Portree High School or whatever else. And there was a bit of rivalry between the Nicholson and Portree in, in that sense. Um, there, there was, you know, the, the rivalries between, you know, people would support Rangers or Celtic, but it was never, in fact, in my experience, even, even these kind of football tendencies were never really along... Um, we're never really along sectarian lines at all. So, so I think that in, in terms of there being a religious sectarianism in, in, in the Highlands, I've perhaps perhaps not as sharply as it is in, in other parts of Scotland. Yeah. Um, uh, can, can we develop a, a wee bit more generally into the whole area of rural ministry? Yeah. Where you minister Strathon Sully is a stunning parish. It really is. And I wish I could describe, you know, to the listeners the view from your man's window, you know, over the sound of slate, it really is something to behold. And if I lived in your house, I don't think I would get any work done. And I certainly wouldn't watch hell. I'd be looking out the window all the time. Yeah. Do you feel shortchanged being a minister in a rural area where there is no Starbucks, where there is you no know, big sense of Funksters walking along the street. Uh, no, not well, not not really. Um, you know, there's there's some things that are challenging, um, but um, you know, delivery charges to the island are sometimes a bit harsh. But but no, you, you know, the, one of the great one of the great things that I find is you know people people say this and it, you know it's almost it sounds a bit twee almost to say it, but there's a real community here that. You know, I've been 12 years now in, in the South End of Sky, and you know, you get to know an awful lot of people. Um, my my circle of contacts is is probably um, far broader than than a, a lot of ministers would be in in, in urban contexts. Um, you know, and you know, and, and probably deeper as well. You know, the, the contacts you make tend to be more meaningful. You know, they're they're not just people you're acquainted with; they're people you build real friendships with. Um, in in the community around about you, and that's a that's a huge privilege. Um, in terms of you know the, you know you know you were asking about one of these tensions that the, that there might be in the island. One one thing that that you can kind of sense sometimes is between incomer and and and, and local that people move to the island, and you, you you might think that that's somewhere where there there there's maybe a flashpoint and a bit of tension, and sometimes and on some particular issues maybe there is, but but I find it certainly in Slate. The, the south end of Sky, I think, was, was has been longer exposed to sort of immigration and into the, uh, you know, people moving into the into the community than perhaps even the rest of the island, and and so the, the makeup of the, the community here is much much more diverse, um, with with a lot of folk from from the south of England, um, folk from from across the UK, and and it's just wonderful meeting people from all of these different backgrounds and interacting with them and finding out their stories and chatting with them and trying to trying to figure out how people tick and you know you, you're I think when you're doing that it's it's a real it's a real privilege working in, in that kind of context so no I don't you know okay the coffee's maybe not quite as good but um but the relationships are a lot stronger I think and, and diverse. Do you think the do you think the wider church puts a premium on urban ministries I, there's, I think there's a fashionableness to to urban work that, or a perception of fashionability to it. But you know, I, I talk to, I've got friends who work in, in in some of the some of the more urban church plants, and you know, I, I don't think the challenges are, are any lesser, or 
perhaps even any greater either. They're just completely different in in terms of context. And and I think one of the one of the, the real challenges for us in, in the free church is to um, you know is to cultivate um, a, a sense of a sense of priority in all of these different contexts. You know, we're we're ministering to to the whole of Scotland. We've by, by dint of our history, we have a large number of congregations. Um, in the Highlands and, and Islands, and a lot of these Highland and Island congregations need revitalization. Um, I don't think we need very many church plants in the, you know, once you go past maybe maybe Inverness or the immediate area around there, there's probably not so much of a call for church planting as there is for revitalization. That's a challenging set of things as well, where you're, you're, you're working there. It's it's different to having the, you know, the, the, the clean slate kind of approach that you might have in a church plant. You've, you've got to work through a lot of the reasons why congregations have declined and try to challenge ingrained attitudes that are there. And that's quite a challenging ministry. Uh, obviously, it's not for everyone, but it, it's what we have to do. That's what revitalization ministry is about. And you, you have to kind of bring change to, to some of these attitudes if you can. Yeah, so you don't look wistfully at your... You know, colleagues ministering in Union Street, Aberdeen, or Byers Road in Glasgow, or Morningside Road. You have no sense of that. Not, not, not. I'm, you know, I'll be honest as well. I, I almost felt really apologetic over the last few months. You know, with um, the lockdown and, and and all the challenges that that brought. We we had bags of space around us, and you know, just being able to walk out in the fresh air. You know, and be somewhere beautiful right on our doorstep was I, I almost felt bad for folk kind of without, yeah. without these without these options now moving on to a couple of interests that I know you have um, you're really interested in you know ministry and, and health and you know I've heard you often speaking even at general assembly about mental health can you talk a wee bit about that and how it is you you come to have an interest in it yes yeah, I think yeah mental health is is one of these it's one of these areas in my own life that's been at times uh, a struggle um a number of years ago just after our, our our oldest child was was born hannah was was born we i went through a phase of burnout um it's partly work related um partly some bad habits that I'd probably developed and um and partly still trying to unpack a lot of baggage from from my dad's death and, and left me with with um, with a kind of profound depression that took several months to lift, and I was off I was off work for some time. Um, so I'm I'm really sensitive to the I'm really sensitive to the needs of our colleagues when they're going through these kind of hard times where where um, you know where the where the yeah the challenge the, the challenges of of ministry it can be a very lonely experience. And, and so the challenges of that and the burdens that you're bearing um, can feel overwhelming. And without good patterns of accountability and without good, uh, good disciplines and, and good discipline, which, you know, which can weather storms. Sometimes you, know, you can be very well disciplined when things are going well, but when, when things start to pile up, it's very tempting sometimes to let the good discipline slide a wee bit. And, and all of that has a, has a, a compounding effect on our on our lives and and I think I'm so I'm, I'm really passionate that, that as a church we try to find a way to to better 
support our ministers in these in these kind of contexts. Well, what about you know, general and not just ministers of people? Say one of our listeners has got a friend and the friend's depression, they've taken to their bed or they're not speaking. How do you be a real Christian friend in that context? I think the, these kind of contexts where, where someone's really in the depths of it, um, the, the first and I think the most important thing is prayer. Um, I, you know, the, 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 the sense where you, you have people praying for you, it's, it's nice knowing people are praying for you. But I think taking things to the throne of grace and knowing that God is actually going to answer and God will minister to people. Is, is one of the most important things you can do. Now, in order to do that effectively, I think it means you need to you need to listen. Very often, we, we make assumptions about people who are, who are struggling through times of um, depression or, or poor mental health, and and we think that the the assumptions that we make kind of shape and color. So 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 prayer is a prayer is a part of it. The other part I come to often with it is just be be practical. Um, I love the way um, I love the way James talks about it. You know that that if someone's sick, um, call upon the elders of the church to come to them and and minister to them, pray over them, and anoint them with oil. And I'm not sure that that's a you know I don't think that anointing was for for James probably not viewed as a a sort of almost a sort of spiritual activity, but more a practical thing that you would actually enter into caring for someone who's suffering and. When someone's going through struggles with, with mental health, I know for myself, one, one of the things was just having people who would come and hang out, um, not in an overbearing way, but just, you know, with the things that I liked. So someone would have turned up with good coffee. That was good. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, just just a, an anointing me with good coffee um, and being a good friend <laughs> knew me. Not, you know, I, I, I wouldn't use the word baptizing me with good coffee. That would probably be quite scalding and horrible. But the, the anointing of kindness and care that you can enter into when someone's in that. And not to be scared. I mean, I, I think a lot of the time as well, we don't know what to say. Um, and and actually not knowing what to say is fine. Um, you're, you're not there to give them a, an earth-shatteringly wonderful um, answer to their to their problems that's going to transform things in a moment. No, nobody expects that and nobody nobody should put that expectation on themselves. But but just to be caring, to be kind, to to uplift people with your kindness and the, the grace of God that you can show um, practically in these times. And not to not run away, not to be scared and hide. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, uh, I know that another interest that you have is, is politics, um, I've, you know, heard you speak about it, perhaps less so. I'm not sure where you are politically these days. Hopefully you've moved away from where you were a few years ago, but let's not go there. Can you t- talk us through a little bit about your thinking just now on politics? I know that you're really interested. You did a podcast recently with Fred Drummond. Um, <clears throat> you've written uh, on the EA website uh about Christians being involved in politics. Tell us how you came to this kind of topic in your own thinking. Yeah, so, well, yeah, I have. I mean, I'm, I mean, no, no, there's no, there's no point in trying to be secretive about it. I've, I've written in the past about my, um, you know, my, my leanings towards Scottish nationalism. Um, I've, I mean, in fact, I, you know, I go 
go, go way back in that, right the way back to my university days. I got very involved with um, with the Scottish National Party when I was in university and um, was on Nicola Sturgeon's campaign teams back in the, 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 the mid the mid nineties um, in government. So yeah, I've got a, a long, a long connection back to that. Okay, we've just got to say in generation podcast to other parties out of other parties are available. Yes, absolutely. So I, I think what I'm what I've come to now though is knowing knowing a number of politicians, not just Christian politicians, but knowing a number of politicians in Scotland. Um, not just Christians in politics, but but, but more widely. I'm kind of anxious that the church in Scotland has maybe not done a great job of communicating and relating to people in politics from, from two perspectives as well, actually. You know, the, the, there's, there's that one that we tend to think about with politicians, which is, you know, all about policy and the ideas of government and everything else that, that go on. And, and I think there's, there's an importance for us to have a voice and a, and a message there. But I think more generally, um, th- th- there's a sense in which politics has seen very much so in recent years as a kind of dirty business. And, and I think the, the, the churches, I don't, I don't mean a denomination or us as a denomination in the free church, but, but just more generally, Christian connection to politics, I think is, is maybe just as, um, just as skeptical as wider community is, as, as the, wider, the wider sort of Scottish society or British society might be about politicians, you know, that, that anyone who's in politics is in it to to perhaps be, be a bit shady or, or to try and, you know, gain for themselves whatever personal advantage. Yeah, they might I mean, if I can interject here, this is a really controversial view, but I, I think that most politicians are in it for the greater good. You know, I'm yeah. talking, you know, I've been talking to a lot of politicians recently and they're saying the most correspondence that they get from Christians is negative, it's quite nasty, and it's always about the same issues. It's always about abortion. It's always about sexuality. Um, no, no argument with with that and, and these issues. But they never write when we're doing something good. They never write, you know, about the good things that are happening in society. So, you know, the politicians that I know and have known in the past are just good people, many of them who have put their careers, law, medicine, whatever, to the side, uh, to to go into this bear pit where you're you're going to be assassinated. I know that you're really keen that, that Christians begin to stand for election. Why, Gordon? Why would why would anybody do that? <laughs> why would anyone? Why would anyone do it? Um, I think I come back to you know the the, the sense that. Jesus has in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to his disciples and says, "You are my, you know, that you are you are my ambassadors, my witnesses in this world. You are to go out as salt and light, and and you are going to be salt and light in the world." In Hebrews, the you, know, you get you get the idea in Hebrews eleven that that the way the way that the, the presence of Christians in the world, the presence of believers in the world, is actually God's gift. The world is not worthy of them. Um, you know that believers. God's children in this world have a role to play in bringing the grace of God into this world. That there's, and, and we, I, I suspect one of our problems, and particularly for us in the free church, we sometimes have a very narrow focus on that and think, well, that's about the doctrine of salvation, people getting saved, coming to a personal relationship with the Lord as their savior and entering into the promises of the covenant on a personal level. And 
that's very important. It's, it's the most important thing for any individual. But the church has a much wider influence than merely the doctrine of salvation. And and, and I think that's something that, that I feel we've, we've maybe lost. We lose our confidence that God's pattern for human life that's been revealed to us and given to us in the scriptures, which we believe and we hold to, is actually the pattern for human thriving, for human excellence. And Christians entering into the political sphere, it's not because they are merely because they are Christians, but because we have a biblical, I hope, Christians with a biblical worldview and a bit of confidence about a biblical worldview can make a huge difference in how public policies are entered into, even the, the tone of public policy and, and, and the way political debates and engagement happen. So I've been really impressed. You know, the, if you look at the, the finance briefs just now in the Scottish Parliament, you've got believers, actually Christian believers, on both sides of that particular debate with Murdoch Fraser and, and, and Kate Forbes. And as believers, the, the way there's just something about the way they the um, the way they interact. The, the there's the tone of it just is subtly different. Um, I'm really impressed, you know, with 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 with, with the way that that happens. The way that tone yes, they are respectful, is. yeah. Because isn't that a myth that you know you can disagree fundamentally with an issue, but get on well with the person. Yeah, I, I just think public discourse has become so toxic and it's, it's not just the Trump effect, that certainly hasn't helped, but that's, uh, that's arisen out of it. It's not just created. Even in church life, you know, discussions are always so toxic, especially on social media. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we, we don't get we don't get tone right. We don't, you know, we misunderstand. Um, would you agree? Yeah, even even when you you know, like on social media, even when you when you tag an emoji, a wee smiley face onto something, you know, you, you think you're making a light-hearted comment, and and it can be taken completely the wrong way. And it's so I think that's it. It's so easy that. But but what worries me is that that Christians have have bought into that kind of hostile engagement pattern that that the world around us shares in as well and so we when we get in touch with politicians it, it's rarely positive um, it's rarely constructive you know there's 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 an awful lot of condemnation in how we speak and what we say and and that's what i really want to challenge i think more than anything it's it's that christians would have a confidence about the the, the wide variety of areas where a biblical worldview can make a difference in terms of how we think about big issues. But to engage in a way that's winsome, um, that that will um, that'll that'll open that'll open a willingness to hear. You know, so so for us just now, you know, we've got the there's the hate crime and public order bill that's going through its consultation phase in the Scottish Parliament at the moment. And the Free Church has written I, I think an excellent um, Stephen Allison one of our one of our ministers um, kind of led a, a group that was responding to that. Found an excellent response to it, highlighting the problems and and trying to I think enter into some kind of dialogue that's that, that might be there with with Hamza Yusuf at, at the at the, 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 the justice secretary. But I don't know how far we're going to be heard because I know that within the Scottish government there there is a lot of sense that whenever the church speaks, it's just about their own issues and. It's just to complain about things or just to speak about this very narrow focus of issues. And we haven't really built the relationships more widely um, within, the, the, within the parliament or even just locally, like individual congregations speaking to their own local MSP or MP. 
and inviting them along to events. I, I was talking to someone recently in, um, in Nicola Sturgeon's constituency, actually in Glasgow, and they do a, a Christmas time. They do a they, they do a, a program with local businesses and shop windows, and they they make a point now for for a number of years now have made a point of inviting her along to participate at one of these uh, one of these events that they that they run. And she really apparently look, really looks forward to it. It's, it's in her diary. She wants to engage. She wants to be there. It's not high profile, um, but it's a good local event. And it, it's, you know, I mean, it's difficult with, with, with Nicola Sturgeon. She's the first minister. She's an incredibly busy person. But, you know, for all of our congregations and all sorts of different denominations in Scotland to have that kind of relationship with a constituency MSP where, where you're planning an event, maybe just once a year, but planning an event, low-key, there's a little bit of gospel content, but it's really about just building a relationship so that when a big issue does come up and you want to knock on someone's door, you're not talking to a complete stranger. Mm. You're, you're, you're opening up a relationship there. And that's how, we, that's how we do our pastoral work. That's how we do our evangelism. And so, I, you know, we do it on the basis of good relationships. It's not shotgun evangelism. It's not shotgun pastoral care. So why should we think political engagement would be any different? You know, that, that, we, that we, we think, well, I'll write a letter to them and they'll listen to me out of the blue. That, that doesn't work. Yeah. <clears throat> Moving on, uh, we're, I'm seeing the end of, of our conversation in sight here. Time is not our friend. Um, you're, you're a bit of a reader. I know that, like most ministers, you, you read really interesting books. Um, what have you been reading the last few months? You know, one I was uh, one that I one writer that I keep coming back to is Tim Keller. Um, I, I find so much that that um, that Keller's written to be really, really helpful. Um, I, I've recently come back to reading again um, the freedom of self forgetfulness, a tiny little sort of pamphlet. Again, it comes back to mental health stuff as well. The, the burdens that we carry are things we need to forget, and we need to remember that the way they're forgotten is through the work of Jesus, through the gospel. And and I, th I think, you know, if I was going to encourage people to read something, just read as much as you can of Tim Keller stuff. I mean, it, this is someone at the moment um, who who's, who's writing with a profound understanding of where our culture is at in the West, but also writing, I think, with a, with a God-given insight into how the gospel is applied to that culture and how we take the things of the good news of Jesus and the victory of Jesus and and bring that to the needs and the brokenness that's actually present in our in our culture today. So you know Keller I, I would recommend pretty much anything of his I'm just you know yeah. I've got and Keller's then, book you know, of preaching just right here if you're a preacher Keller's book of preaching is really yeah, Tim is such he's such a gentleman. I mean, I know I know him reasonably well, and he is always the same. He's just a genuinely nice guy who, you know, I've been in his company for you know a long time, and I never hear him criticizing. You know, um, you know, folk are really bitter against him. There's a really unfortunate book written, uh, which has ironically now been pulped. Um, you know, against him. Uh, and yeah, he's just so gracious. When I grow up, I want to be like Tim. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, the, the kind of another one, uh, just another similar experience like that recently. Actually, I was listening to a, a, 
uh, again, a, an interview, a podcast interview this morning, uh, Andy Bannister was talking to, to N.T. Wright. And I, I always find that with with, uh, with Tom Wright. He's, he's, I mean, there's some things he writes that I, I find really challenging and, and some things he writes that I really disagree with. But I, I think the flack that he takes at a personal level from people is just, it's just unfair. Um, sure. You know, yeah. and, and we we need to sit down and talk to people that we don't necessarily agree with. I was listening to an episode of The West Wing last night and it spoke about the, uh, one of the judges in the Supreme Court. He says he, he was a Republican. Um, no, sorry, he was a Democrat. And he always has one of his clerks as a Republican so that they can joust together and they can really learn from one another. The older I get, the more I'm into talking with folks I just don't agree with. It's a good thing to do. Good thing. Gordon, time is going. Um, thank you so much for the time that you've given. The time has just flown past. We're almost in 45 minutes here. Uh, folks, <clears throat> look at Gordon's website, uh, Strath and Slate Free Church. Are you blogging these days? or have, like, I'm, have I'm you not. I, I, I'm I, I used to kind of blog fairly fairly often, but I've actually deleted most of the stuff. The old content has just gone. Um, <laughs> That's a yeah. good sign. Yeah, I, I, you know what I what I thought actually was I, I was I was very cynical, you know, and I'm, I'm maybe quite a cynical kind of person at times. And a lot of what I wrote was very cynical as well. And, and I've had to. That's one of these things that you know kind of feel I had to repent of and and move away from. And it's it's now at a point where I'm trying to. If I, if I write anything at all in blogging, I'm just trying to be a bit more constructive rather than deconstructive with what I'm saying. You know, I want to, you know, I wonder, you know, there's enough voices in the world trying to pull people down. And I want to, if I can, be a voice that's going to raise people up and, you know, try and give, you know, give give a bit of constructive voice to the to the church as well. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I'm working on a couple of projects just now that might yeah. might contribute to that as well. So. Well, that, I mean, it's great to hear honesty, honesty, and candid nature of uh, you know looking back in life and things you regret. But we we all do that. Yeah, I, you know, I've kept I've not blogged for a long time. I blog in Calvinism, the art of motorcycle maintenance. I've still got it; it's there. Um, when I've got a bit more time, I hope to return to it. But um, Gordon, thank you so much for spending time with us. And we wish you every blessing in your ministry in Strath and in Slate. Thanks, David. Folks, um, thank you for sticking with us. Please tell people about Generation Podcast. We are, uh, you know, we hear lots and lots of feedback. The uh, listenership is growing by the week. Folk are listening to this as they do their COVID walk. Folk are listening to it in their car. Um, podcasts are really great ways of you know entering into conversations with hopefully interesting people. Next week we've got a young couple. We've got Elijah and Jesse Brook. Uh, Elijah is an intern at Cornerstone, which is a church plant in Morningside in Edinburgh, and he is an American and he's working with eighty three and we'll hear more about 83 next week so thank you so much for joining with us today and enjoy the rest of your day thank you